Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 10, Caged Heat. Let's get this show on the road. So before we start today, we wanted to give everybody a heads up that we're going to be getting to what I think is probably my favorite episode in the entire 15 season series, The Man Who Would Be King. And we would like to celebrate this big milestone together with a special event. So make sure to follow us on Twitter at Carrying Wayward for our latest updates and to find out how we're going to be celebrating this episode with everybody. And again, not that it needs any saying, I have zero information about this episode. Literally, the only thing I have about this episode is that every time it gets brought up, Mary gets giddy. But it's not just me. You saw the Monster of the Week boys last week. They were equally as excited about it. Like, I I think it's come up in conversation in the Discord before, and there's been like a fervor of like, oh my god, oh my god. And I'm like, I'm so worried. (laughs) Even Rochelle, when I pitched the idea for the event, she was like, yes, let's do it. (laughs) It's an episode with a capital E. (laughs) Like, part of me is like, this is going to like change the entire dynamic of the show going forward type like level of like insanity in my head. Am I going too big here? You can't answer that, obviously. But I can look at you and smile. (laughs) For now, are we ready for a recap for this episode? Much less exciting. (laughs) Unfortunately, count me down. Three, two, one, go. We watch the boys working the regular 9 to 5. That's 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Bad joke. I'm sorry. Or they're just working for Crowley and catching alphas. They're like totally over it. And then surprise Meg shows up to kidnap them. But she actually wants to work with them to go after Crowley because she hates Crowley. And then they get Cass involved. So we get a whole episode with Cass and we trick him, which is kind of fun. Uh, Sam is a total dickhead to everyone, especially Cass. We'll get to that. It is then just a continuous chain of who's screwing over who over and over and over again, Samuel to Crowley to Meg to the boys to Sam. All this eventually ending with Cass killing Crowley, Samuel swearing he'll kill, uh, sorry, Dean swearing he'll kill Samuel, Samuel basically disowning the boys, and Cass watches porn time. It pains me because I feel like if this episode were taken a little bit more slowly and maybe as a two-parter, it could have been a lot more dramatic. But it feels like they were trying to rush too many, like, surprise reveals one after the other. It felt like the last 10 minutes of an M. Night Shyamalan movie and just as disappointing. Yeah, there's a lot in this episode. And there's a lot that's actually going to be following us uh, as we go. As you can see, the long game is dramatically longer than it was last week. So we briefly meet up again with the alpha shapeshifter from 602 before Crowley kills him when he realizes that he doesn't really know much about where to find purgatory. You know what? Closure. That's an incredibly rare feature. I'll take closure. Dean again asks Sam if he wants his soul back, and Sam doesn't quite answer the question. And that's at the beginning of the episode, because as we go further through the episode, Sam kind of makes up his mind. Meg is back. That's always fun. I look forward to seeing her. She She's a fun bit of nostalgia. We also get Cass, Crowley, and Samuel in one episode, so there's just a lot happening. You know what? It's funny because I feel like this is one of those episodes where we would have had to like break it down into like more than just the boys for the characters for the week. There really isn't much with these three. Like they're in it, but like 
I think we cover them all pretty well in discussing Sam and Dean. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mentioning this here, like the argument between Sam and Cass, only because of like your comments about their relationship because i find it interesting now to see like just to kind of highlight like how that's going but we're going to be talking about that more in story time we finally find out that crowley is getting samuel to help him by promising him that he's going to bring mary back to him which raises questions for me because like crowley might be the king of hell but i'm pretty sure that it doesn't really give him any power over heaven so like either he's lying to him or something else is going on I mean, I have a lot of problems with this, and we're going to just hate on Samuel a bit later in story time in my books. But he did pull Samuel from heaven. They make it very clear when he brings both of them back that he took one from each place. Well, that's my question. So was Samuel actually in hell? I don't know. Raises many questions. Do we have any proof that Mary's in heaven? Not doubting her. I'm just saying... I can't imagine many hunters get to go to heaven, even the fact that Sam and Dean went there shocks me a bit. She was a spirit of some sort, of the the exact kind of which I have forgotten the name of, but she in home, right? And so we do see her uh, sort of like floating up to wherever. So that's that's why I had assumed that she was in heaven. Equally as logical as just assuming all of her time murdering things and saving people would balance in some way. Who knows? But I still think that this kind of raises questions. So remember when I said that pizza on Supernatural is actually associated with sex? Yeah, and I was incredibly confused, and I think I may have finally put it together today. (laughs) We get the now iconic scene of Cass watching porn while Dean and uh, Sam are in the room with him, and the film depicts, and I quote, a pizza man slapping the rear of a babysitter. The brothers get the demon knife back from Ruby, thanks to Sola Sam. I weirdly forgot they didn't have it anymore. Yeah, I know, me too, actually. (laughs) I was like, damn, I didn't do my job in the long game. (laughs) I mean, hey, you reminded us that they clearly didn't have it now they have it back, so. Sam is, like, very adamant about, like, keeping it. Cass raises some issues about retrieving Sam's soul, and so do Crowley and Meg. So when these people all agree on something, you know that it's not good news. That's like the one weird kind of consensus we see this episode, is they all sort of agree with that. And I'm like, maybe they're on to something. When they all agree, you're like, oh, damn it. That's not good. I just wanted to highlight that we see the djinn that attacked Dean in 601. She's being held captive by Crowley. And as a reminder, like her father was the djinn that had uh, captured Dean and had him hallucinating in uh, 220, what is and what should never be. True. A little bit of a weird karma thing. You know, her dad kept captive and now she's captive. I don't know. I'm trying to find that connection and I can't, but it's a cool cameo. There you go. I think it's it was kind of nice to show like, some kind of continuity on this show because we know that they're not always the best at that. So I did appreciate that. I also must admit a prediction I made has now been proven wrong because of this episode. Which was? I had joked at some point because I think you had mentioned that a Ruguru does show up again in the series. And I was like, maybe it's the baby. Clearly that was not the case. It was the alpha. Cass found Crowley's bones and he basically uses them as leverage in order to get... Well, to get Crowley to let Sam and Dean go. So when he finds out that Crowley can't get Sam's soul back, he kills him. Yeah, this... 
how do I put this lightly? I don't believe that for a second. Oh, this is a Crowley trick 100%. There are there are like poor, poorly hidden Crowley bones fucking everywhere. You think that Cass would make that mistake? I could see Cass being fooled in some way. Like there, there's some trickery to it. But more, I think it's Crowley would be smart enough to like not let them get out that easily. Like if I'm Crowley, those bones are like in a cement block at the bottom of the ocean. Okay, so you're basically telling me that you think that Crowley is the mastermind here and that... Faked his own death to get away. Free out. Either way, it feels like a bit of an unceremonious end to Crowley, like no matter how we look at it. Yeah, which is why I truly believe he's not gone. All right. And finally, Sam says that he does not want his soul back. And is it wrong that I'm kind of on board with that? <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, you know, I don't think that I would uh, want it back either. <laughs> Especially after everything that we find out about it. Like, I, I think already we had such a good, like, you know, like, oh, I think I'm a better hunter like this and I'm better this way. And like that whole view of the thing and the whole idea of like, oh, we have to understand the soul is good and they're just doing a bad job of it. But now it's like, OK, even if he agrees the soul is good. Yours might be loaded with so many landmines, it could end half the world. Maybe don't put it in your mouth. Hey, at least twice this episode, they make reference to, like, regaining his soul going in his mouth, okay? I think Cass refers to putting his soul in his gullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we shove that thing back down his gullet. <laughs> yeah, and someone else says, like, I wouldn't swallow that thing for... Or, like, I'd rather swallow uh, a rag off the ground or something. I think it's Crowley's. Oh, yeah, in a ba- in a Roman bathhouse. That's what he said. Oh, God. Oh, that's a terrible vivid imagery. I don't want to think about it anymore. Let's move on to story time. Our theme this week is confrontation, which is a word that's made up of con, which means together, and front, meaning forehead, literally. It's the French, the Latin French word front for a forehead. So if you take it literally, it's basically the idea of like butting heads. I mean, that's very apt. Yes. <laughs> and so like just the the like Oxford dictionary uh, definition is like a hostile or argumentative meeting or a situation between opposing parties. And I think that there's a lot there for us to kind of like dig through. Because especially this episode, like, wow, there's just a lot of butting heads in 43 minutes of television. Like, it was actually impressive. Yeah, like, I feel like sometimes the theme that we decide on, and realistically, you having the foreknowledge tend to really lean on these with us, or our audience on themselves is out. And it never, like, is it hard to find a theme, but the theme requires, like, a little more analysis to, like, really, like, grasp. I can't think of a scene in this episode where two people aren't, like anime lines facing each other with like the lightning bolt there, like an old Sailor Moon cartoon. Briefly, it was actually hard for me to get my notes down for like story time because I didn't know where to start. I was like, there's just so much of it. Like, how are we going to talk about it all? And we're not. That's, you know, spoiler ahead. Like, we're not going to talk about it all, but we're going to talk about like the biggest chunks. And if I may start with Sola Sam, I'm impressed by how much fun he was this week. Coming off of last week where we kind of really got our first like major taste of Sola Sam committing to the bit uh, was very funny. So this week, the fact that he's still able to. I don't want to say he's like funny, but like that same level of like, I don't care is there. And it still comes off with some like interesting moments and some like 
I chuckled once or twice. While I still find him funny in this way, this week he really is just like flexing the not caring muscle a lot. And while he's at odds with basically everyone this week, demons, human or angel, it's his interaction with Cass that I find the hardest. You know, it's one thing to see him treat Meg or Crowley and other demons like literal like trash, but he treats Cass the same way. Like, it really feels like he's talking to any other monster. He even says, like, he basically threatens to hunt him, essentially. You know, it really feels like he is using Cass the same way he is planning to use Meg in this scenario. I have to say that I found this moment profoundly funny. And and I know that they were probably trying to make it, like, really tense and, like, intense, but... I honestly was just kind of cackling my way through when it was happening. Like, I'm sorry, but like, how are we supposed to not laugh when Sam basically tells Castiel that if he doesn't help them, he's going to hunt him down and kill him. And Cass is like, will you, boy, how? And Sam, like the petulant child that he currently is, responds, I don't know yet, but I will look until I find out and I don't sleep. Like, I'm sorry, but like to me, this was peak comedy and maybe I have like a weird sense of humor, but I thought this was so funny. (sighs) And I think it's made funnier because it feels like they like you said, they wanted it to be tense. Like they start with a joke, the Indiana Jones moment, which I loved because it also implies that the Ark of the Covenant is real. (laughs) Because Cass goes, oh, I know what that is. Where is it? (laughs) So like. I'm like, I almost wanted more of a reaction from Sam in that part, even in the very, like, dry, soulless Sam way of, like, I assumed it wasn't real. Good to know. Making note of it. Continuing. But you're right. Like, this entire scene is just... It's like putting two chihuahuas in, like, a dogfighting match and pretending they're pit bulls. It's like... Neither one can really do it right. Like, we've seen Cass be threatening. We've seen Sam be threatening. The fact that neither of them can be threatening in this scenario when it's so clearly the goal is just to die for. But, like, it gets the point across, which is what I'm trying to say. I'm sort of assuming that the goal is not for it to be funny. And so I'm taking those words very seriously, right? Like, I think that neither of them is having a good time in this particular moment. But like, to be fair to Sola Sam, like he's always been really clear that he's always going to go with the person who sort of like gives him the best chance at survival. And like, he doesn't feel interpersonal connections, right? Like he's been very clear about that ever since you can't handle the truth. So I guess I'm, I'm not really surprised about this, like, especially like coming right out of an episode where he ditched looking for Dean, thinking he'd been abducted by aliens in order to go have sex with a girl named Sparrow. Like, Cass really didn't stand a chance here. Yeah, like, I think we already joked how, like, I feel like their relationship was already very fraught and, like, very, like, we both like Dean. We can be, like, mutually, like, not assholes to each other 100% of the time. So as soon as, like, he already doesn't care about Dean... Then he's a step further removed from Cass. It, it really, to me, proves that like the relationship between Sam and Cass is 100% business, even when Sam has a soul. You know, I completely disagree with that, but I absolutely love the idea. <laughs> like, I, I'll be intrigued to see, like, because I still feel like we have not gotten a fair, like, amount of Sam and Cass time up like, with the exception of these weird scenarios. 
And I think that that's like mostly the actors kind of coming through. Like I think Jared Padalecki and Misha Collins together, like are just like agents of chaos, like individually to begin with. And so when you put them together, it creates those situations where like that are absolutely well unhinged, really. I want those scenes, like as much as they might be a bit chaotic. I want those scenes. Clearly, Solo Sam is not going to be the one to give us those. Maybe I'm wrong, but. If anything, it just goes to show again that they their relationship has room to grow once he gets a soul back. I think we need to then go to the most important part of Soul of Sam this week, and that is his decision, which I don't assume surprised any viewers at the time, myself included, uh, because I think I called this from the day we found out Soul of Sam was a thing, that he you know, doesn't really want his soul back. And like you pointed out in the long game, and I, I, I referenced the quote, you know, when angels and demons agree you really got to think at that point something's wrong and i feel like to get with Mark theme the tiniest bit i think the biggest thing here is like there's been like a weird like no one has been in a position to show sam the positives of having a soul because there's been no time to do this like i imagine again like there's always the issue of like what we see versus what we don't see in the show and like how much time are they getting off between all like right now they're kind of working for Crowley. So I feel like their time off is pretty little, but like between unveiling, he has no soul until now. I imagine there had to be like trying to watch a comedy with him and like explain it's funny because of this. And like, what is comedy and having a soul? Like, I just imagine there had to be some of those moments, but the vibe really is those aren't happening. And all he is seeing is the downsides and the pain that come with having a soul. Yes. No, no, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know if I agree with the idea that I don't think that you don't think that there was time to do it. Like, I think that instead of Dean talking about like suffering as like a staple of having a soul, he could have talked about like the joy of having a soul, meaning like the, the fulfillment that we get from like, interpersonal connections for example you know like just just as simple as that right so correction i think the issue is there was time but every time the time arose it was a shitty time and instead they all went everything sucks what i think is that dean is just not in a space to be joyous about this kind of stuff right and so he's not feeling that and so like we know that dean like has a lot of trouble, even though he thinks he's really good at it. Like he's not really good at like hiding his emotions. And so like, he's been like in the process of a breakup. He's going through like a very big breakup right now. And he, his emotions, I think are, are closest to like pain and suffering. And so that's what he's talking about when that's probably not the best way to sell soulless sale on a soul right now. You know, like I think you know, we talked about it last week, but that's, that's, I, I, I still reside in that space, right? Like, this is not the way that you're going to get Sola Sam to agree to get his soul back. I just want to talk about that last scene for a second, like when Sam walks away from Dean. And I know that this is supposed to be like, again, really sad and shocking moment. But for me, it's like completely undercut by the fact that he's just walking away. Like, what is he going to do? Is he going to walk home? where is home? Where is he going? Where is he walking? Dean has the Impala. Dean needs to drive him. All I can picture now, and the fact that he is moose size makes it so much funnier, is just the end of the original Hulk show with the sad walking away music and the hitchhiking. Just this moose of a man with like no purpose walking in a perfectly straight line across down the highway. 
hoping to get picked up. Not even hoping, just walking because that's the most logical way to get a place. There you go. Like, I don't really know what it was for me with this episode, but I just find that like the emotional beats like didn't really work for me. Like it just didn't really do it. And so like if I, if this is an episode that people really love, and I think it is, like I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be mean about it, but I just, I found it really funny in the wrong places. I can recall times where I have researched movies or fi- uh, most some older movies where that you know, either the director or the writers, there was a lot of like back and forth and things got rewritten and things got changed. And the things you kind of see are points try to get made, but the underlying points or the underlying bits of narrative that go along with it get like lost along the way. So like we still get all the major beats, but it feels like there may have been like parts that were cut for time that kind of would have made other moments feel more natural, maybe. This 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 really feels like an episode that was like too squished together almost. Like they had two scripts and they were like, no, 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 one. Well, do you remember when we talked about Groundhog Day a few, like a couple of years ago now? It was basically kind of the same thing where different people revised the script in different ways. And so you can see like different scenes and different things that just like don't quite fit together. And, you know, ironically, this is kind of like, for me anyway, Supernatural as a whole, that's just like different people writing these characters in different ways in order to respond to the way that like they see these characters and it kind of being a hodgepodge of nonsensical shit at the end. Like anyway, when we get there, we can talk about it more, but from there, why don't we jump over to Dean? If Sam was butting heads with everyone else this week, that's only because Dean was way too busy challenging Samuel, uh, who I'm just going to blanket statement here with 100% accuracy state he's in the wrong in every way, shape, and form. Like, do you think even if somehow all this bullshit works out and he gets Mary back, she's going to be like, yay, dad, thanks for saving me by sacrificing my children to a demon. Like, the entire thing makes no sense. Like, if even for a second he stopped to think about it, which clearly he's not. You know, Dean is stuck in the middle of, like, all of this shit going down. It He feels like a passenger this week, weirdly. Until that moment with Samuel, like up until then, he is really just like a bystander this week. So can we talk about that more a little bit? Like, because Dean's reaction to what Samuel is saying is basically exactly what you're saying, right? Like he's, he's like, you know, it's going to go nowhere good. Uh, I know we've had our differences, but I'm your grandson and I'm telling you that this is wrong for so many reasons. And then Samuel calls him a hypocrite. And Dean replies, I'm asking you to learn from our mistakes. Doing this, this is how the bad guys gets us every time. It's our Achilles heel, and apparently it runs in the family. We will figure something else out. Okay. Do you think that Dean, if faced with the choice to make a deal in order to get Sam his soul back, would refuse the deal? I, I <laughs> that pause, man. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those like questions where like you need to really like give me more parameters because like yes, in theory, he would make that deal depending on the scenario. Like if you told me the deal was 
you have to work for me for the rest of your life uh, hunting demons for Crowley, but I'll give Sam his soul back. I I don't see that being a bad deal. At the end of the day, they can always turn on Crowley in some way. And if they're still hunting and doing good and getting, you know, they, they, hate, they hate working for Crowley, but they're still hunting. But Sam gets his soul back and none of them have to die. It's not the worst deal. I mean, which ironically is exactly what Samuel's doing. Ugh. I was going to say, like, you're 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 so close. You're just, you're just so close. Like, has he really learned from their mistakes? I mean, this is the this is the, what is that old expression? Do as I say, not as I do. I feel like it's so easy to turn to somebody and say, I like it's so easy to say, like, look at the thing I've done. I have screwed up countless times doing this. Don't do it. But then does it again. So is he actually a hypocrite? Theoretically, yes. <laughs> Un, uh, he, he is a hypocrite until the next time a deal is offered and he declines it and then he breaks the chain. Fair enough. So he's a he's a um a temporary hypocrite. Yes, I was just like a pro say pro bono. <laughs> a pro bono. I mean <laughs> he is a pro bono hunter, <laughs> that's for sure. So Dean also needs to confront himself a bit in dealing with his feelings internally this episode. Specifically watching Cass. Uh one in discovering porn and two in his smooching of Meg. Because uh, you can see Dean go through so many emotions in this moment. I think there could be like an entire study, written, essays written on his face in that second. Because he goes from like, I think more specifically the, the kissing Meg part. Because he goes from like intrigued to like disgusted to like weirdly impressed and proud of him. And then ultimately back to like jealousy. <laughs> And it is just, it's such a magical little moment there of having to, like, confront himself a little bit. It also felt really weird because we don't really get a lot of Dean and Cass interactions this episode. There's the telling him off about the porn thing. And then pretty much from there, it's just like hunter speech as they're hunting. There's never really, like, a moment, like, for the two of them to be together, which we usually get. Well, there is that little moment at the very end, right? Because you said like a few weeks ago that Cass was basically the only person that Dean felt like he could trust, or at least that like hadn't been hiding things from him this season. And I think that this episode like really continues to set up this idea because like there's this really tiny moment near the end of the episode where Cass is telling Dean, you know, Crowley was right. It's not going well for me upstairs. And Dean is like, oh, you know, if there's anything we can do and Cassiel cuts him off and goes, there isn't. I wish circumstances were different. Much of the time, I'd rather be here. In an episode where he's been having like a sexual awakening, for <laughs> lack of a better word, and he's making out with Meg, like Cass is telling Dean, Dean, because he's surely not talking to Sam in this moment, like especially after what the words that were had earlier. Um, he tells him that he basically is wishing that things were different and that he could be with him more. Like, it's just, it's very sweet, you know? And I think that this, this is something that's like, that I find important when it comes to confrontation, that it's possible to make up and that like, in order to do that, you need to be genuine and vulnerable in your approach of like the other person. And I think that Cass does that so beautifully here. And Dean is responsive to it. Honestly, like I forgot about the scene. Thank you for bringing it up. And I think as much as I think like the focus is kind of on the end of the line, the much of the time I'd rather be here. I think even 
the castness of his opening of there isn't a way to help me. I wish circumstances were different. Like he wishes that like it almost feels like that whole like Cass is bad at lying thing or like hiding how he feels. Like I wish things were different. I wish you could help me because then I could bring you along and it would be worth having you around. But it's not going to help and I don't want to hurt you. There's both sides. There's the I wish you could be with me and I wish I could be with you, which is just so wholesome. Yeah, there's just so much care there, right? Like so much care, so much love. Like it's just, like I said, it's very sweet. And I think especially in an episode where there was just a lot of fighting, a lot of gore too, like a lot of death. um, I think that this was like a really nice moment to have like a little reprieve. (laughs) And just like as a little like like bow at the end of the story time segment, because we're kind of wrapping up, I feel. You know, I I think it's nice that while the theme of confrontation is so abundant in this episode and in every scenario with the exception of Dean and Cass, it comes off as very like it's a confrontation with no resolution. It's just, it's two people running head first into each other and both passing out. And this is the one where they kind of like have their little, like they have their little moment and they go like, well, we can resolve this. We can use our words. We can have feelings. And while neither, not, none of us are happy with the scenario, we are both in an, a mutual understanding and can continue to have our relationship. And I think that is just so I'm going to say this emotionally healthy for Dean. You know how, when you said at one point that like, they're basically in like in a long distance relationship and like they're lacking timing right now, it feels like right now, like that moment is like, Hey, you know, like I wish things were different, but things are the way they are right now. And we're having trouble connecting, but like, I am still here. Like, I wish I could be here with you. And I I just, it's so romantic. <laughs> like, I've never really been in a real long distance relationship. But like, I have been away from my partner for a, like, before we were married, my wife and I, I was away for several weeks for work. And like, there because of time zones being on the other side of the country and just having different schedules, there were some days where we didn't connect. And it was just, was good sometimes to be able to tell the other person like, Hey, I know we didn't get to talk like we do every night last night. Things, there were conflicts in our lives that came up. It doesn't mean I love you less. It just means that we had a bad schedule last night. When can we meet again next? And that's just, it's that reassurance that like, while things can go wrong sometimes or things can go not the way you wish them to, it doesn't mean something's wrong. I just love how they're building like that trust between Dean and Cass in this in this season. Like it's it's just so nice. Well, I think we ended story time on a surprisingly upbeat note, and I'm really okay with that. Yay. So let's move on to critical time. This episode was written by Brett Matthews and Jenny Klein, directed by Robert Singer, and originally aired on December 3rd, 2010. Do you want to share anything specific about the writers or our director? I mean, Robert Singer is a classic. I mean, Brett Matthews only has three episodes uh, that he's written. He's written Live Free or Twy Hard, Caged Heat, and he's going to write another one also for season six. And uh, Jenny Klein is going to be writing for a while, actually. Give me just a second. I completely forgot Brett Matthews' name. Like now that you've said it, I'm like, oh, right. We did just hear that name like within the last few episodes. So Jenny Klein wrote uh, The Curious Case of Dean Winchester with Sarah Gamble in season five, and she's going to be writing 
about one or two episodes per season all the way up until season 11. Oh, wow. Good for them. I'm excited to have uh, some continued uh, growth. Absolutely. What's in the Hunter's Journal this week? I will never listen to what a demon has to say. It's all lies. No matter how intricate a detail they let slip, no matter how tantalizing a tease, I won't. I can't. Demons will say anything to get what they want. Some go broad and just offer the classic money, sex, or power. You know, the big three. And most folks really do fall for that. Figure the second you let them go, the only thing you're getting is your head separated from your body. There is one trick they seem to play that still... still has me a bit confused. I've had a few mid-exorcisms try to tell me that they would help me find it. I did once stop to ask what they meant by it, and they sort of seemed as confused as I was. Like I should have known? The thing then proceeds to laugh to itself. It felt like it was laughing at me. And then just laugh through the rest of the incantation like it was worth it. I'm convinced it was just some sort of, you know, last laugh, some sort of ultimate prank to leave me, you know, fucked over a final screw you to keep me guessing. But I've had others try it, too. Some seem really desperate for me to ask more. It doesn't make much sense, but there's something in the way they offer it up that makes it that makes me feel wrong. Like I really am missing something. So let's. Just want to bring something new to the table, not revealing anything. Any thoughts this week? I would like to try to reframe Sola Sam a little bit here because, like, I really do find him incredibly funny. But, like, in this episode, like, you really see how unhinged he is. Like, he bites his own wrist to draw blood, like, and enough blood to make, like, a devil strap on the ceiling. And then the way that he smiles and you can see the blood in his teeth, like, it's just, it's actually kind of disturbing. And and even before that, actually, like, because you mentioned it, the way he talks to Cass, but also the way he talks to Meg. Like, it's one thing to call BS on a human lying about something, like, that they said to their sister. But it's another to talk to a demon the way that he did when both him and Dean are tied up and completely outnumbered. He rips off a metal pipe from the wall at one point. And like, I think that if nothing else, even if some of those moments didn't really land for me, like this episode is kind of showing us that Sola Sam is a full-on liability and that he will never do something that he doesn't want to do. So I think that you can imagine that that doesn't bode very well for getting his soul back into his body or his gullet. (laughs) That scene with the blood in his mouth, especially thinking about all the times we've like all the connotations that come with Sam and blood. Like, blood yes, it's his, his own mouth. blood. Yes, specifically. Uh, it, it just it. It's very, very visceral. There's also the part of me that was going to ask, like, how did he reach the ceiling? And I'm like, oh, right, it's Sam. He is he is like six foot nine. <laughs> yeah, he was probably crouching to write that. He is eight feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> he is exactly two mooses stacked. <laughs> two mice. He is nine five. It's <laughs> 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 just going to get progressively taller. <laughs> the Jolly Green Giant gets his beans from Sam. Uh, there you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's go and listen to what our community has to say this week. 
This week we have a message from Daniela. Before we listen to this message, we would like to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail to respond to anything we discussed today. You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what do you think are Sam, Dean, and Cass's favorite pizza toppings for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Here is the message from Daniela. Hello, Drew and Mary. First of all, I love your podcast. I listen to three podcasts after watching the corresponding episodes, so I hear a lot of things from the makers. One of the podcasts I listen to is Supernatural Then and Now, and they have interviews with the actors and makers of the show, and a lot of what is going on around in the fandom. Also, sorry for my spelling. English is not my first language. Don't you worry. my It is my first language, and I can't spell. <laughs> I just finished your podcast on episode two of season three. And you had a voicemail from someone who does not always agree with you. I have the same thing, only very different. I think it may be a thing of how and when you grew up. I never saw Dean as bisexual, maybe because I don't have any people around in my social settings who are. But I think I am just not aware enough. I am 44, not raised against being different in any size, shape, or form, but it also wasn't talked about. I myself think everybody should be able to be how, who, and whatever they want to be. So I consider myself very open, but listening to all you two read in the show, I somehow haven't noticed it or looked for it. Of course, I knew of some of the ships in the fandom, but I never felt it that way. So in a way, you are educating me a lot in this subject and make me look at the show from a whole different point of view. The thing is, I'm not always sure if I like it. It has been a show I watched from the beginning, but always out of order because not every episode was aired on the same network or times every time. So kind of hard to keep up with. Now it is easier to find, and I can watch most episodes online somewhere or stream them. I think the episodes are written in a time where people were less aware. I never missed good female roles, never looked at some episodes as hurtful or less appropriate, maybe because it was more normal for tropes to be that way. It never bothered me. It was always a very good time for me to watch. I also watch the conventions online and enjoy them very much. I always think the boys are good people and good supporters for everyone of the fans. But you and others have made me question some of the events that happened. But I don't want to make assumptions because not everything is shown online. So in short, keep it up. I enjoy it so much. Just keep talking about all the things I never saw and make me a better person for it. Even if I don't always like where it takes me, I don't want to stop loving this show. But I am afraid for both your opinions about the last couple of seasons. Just hearing how mad Mary got after the last couple of episodes because I love what they did with the ending, having to alter some storylines because of COVID. I hope you will make it that far. And Drew, thank you for your great first reactions. You make me smile every episode of the podcast. Thank you. Good luck and all the best from Daniela. First of all, like, thank you so much for taking the time to write this email. It was like beautiful and, and I really appreciate it. I, I always appreciate people who take the time to, to kind of like write, to reach out to us, whether it's through writing or through voicemails, like... Always love that. And there's a couple of things that I want to talk about in in your message. First is that like you mentioned that you're you're scared that you're of like not loving the show anymore because of like my opinions. And like first off, like whoa, <laughs> that's never my my goal. I don't do a supernatural podcast. I don't invest that kind of time in this in this project because I hate the show. I do it because I love it. Right. And yes. And, and I think, I mean, I've made it clear, right. I did not like the ending, but I'm so happy for those who did. 
because I wish that I had been happy about it. I wish I had been able to love it for a lot of reasons, and we'll get there. I don't. You know, I'm still coming back to it because I think that I can still learn from it and it still brings me joy somehow, right? Like lots of really negative things. Like overall, I'm happy to be here, right? Like I, so I I just don't want people to dislike the show or the people making the show because of things that I said. And again, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about last week about like being careful with our opinions, right? In, In this space, because and I, I also agree with you that like this show was made in a completely different, in a different time. And I, I hope that we've been able to kind of express that. You said that like episode two of season three, I think we've grown a lot as, as co-hosts since then. And I think that we do a better job now at acknowledging that this was a different time and not necessarily moralizing as much as we did before. I know that I really try to rein that in because like, Again, my idea of fiction is that it's it's a sandbox where like we get to to try things out for ourselves, like whether it's f- for it to have repercussions in real life for us or just because like it act like fiction doesn't actually like hurt anybody, right? So that's those are the two two reasons that I I really enjoy fiction whether it's good or bad. And yeah, I mean, just about seeing Dean as bisexual, like, I'm so happy that you're able to see him, like, differently now, even if it's not necessarily how you see him when you're by yourself, right? And I think that's totally fine, too. I, I appreciate that you were, like, saying, hey, you know, I didn't see him that way before, but I find it really cool that you do, because I think that that's, like, the most healthy way of approaching an interpretation that you hadn't thought of before, especially when it's about a marginalized identity. When I first heard of like the reading of Dean as trans, whether you agree with it or not, or whether you're a trans person or not, like that was my reaction. I was like, oh, wow, I never thought of it before. But now that I think about it, I can see how it would be supported through the text. And I just find that really cool that somebody who hadn't thought of Dean as bisexual before is now like, oh, wow, you know, like I can... I can see it popping up in different areas. And so thank you very much for that. I really, really appreciate that. Daniela, thank you. This was a beautifully well-written email. I had a blast reading it. And I want to touch on, I think, what Mary just left off on there, which is the idea of how we absorb media and how getting different people's outlooks on it can change things. And I'll be so excited to hopefully hear from you again when you do get to this point in the show and hear us reading your voicemail and looking back at how we some of the previous voicemails, because something I think that has come up a few times that I've always loved are people describing to us ways they've read certain characters that were not apparent to us because of our lived experiences. Again, everyone's reading of a character, how you associate to them, how your social upbringing and the people around you reflect on these characters is a valid, understandable reading. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what fiction is, as, as, as Mary pointed out. And I really think it takes a lot of heart to be able to look at something that you've known so well for so long and accept other people's views of it, or at least allow yourself to wander into those frame of references. And I think that is just like the it literally melts my heart seeing this like in such a good way of people 
being understanding, being open to new experiences and loving to learn in this way through a medium like a podcast and a fictional show. Truly, this is such an amazing thing to read. Like, I, I could start crying a little bit. I'm welling up a tiny bit. Uh, thank you again so much for this one. So, Drew, do you have any reflection and call to action for this episode? Uh, again, I find it so hard sometimes to connect. And I think now that Sam is so much harder to connect with uh, because I, I I like to think I have a soul. I like to think I'm a little bit better than soulless Sam. Are there souls in Judaism? Is that a thing? You know, I really need to look into that. I'm not sure how that whole dichotomy works out with that. Isn't there the idea of reincarnation of, or coming back or the next life, right? I'll see you in the next life. I know one of the big things is there's, there's in Judaism, there's no hell, but there is an afterlife. I don't think it's ever explicitly called heaven, but it's the version of heaven. So I would assume there's a soul. And I know there's also a big thing with the whole story of the golem not having a soul is a big deal. So there must be some more to it. Yeah. Thank you very much for clarifying that for me. The one thing I could kind of pick out of this is Samuel's mistake. And that is the wanting something so bad you think it truly is like basically that no matter what the cost, it's worth the prize. And while I've never gone to the lengths of betraying my grandchildren that I don't have to bring back my daughter I don't have. Sorry, you gave me a finger point like, miss, you have. <laughs> yeah, 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 I did, because that is such a like season four Sam thing to do. Oh, man, we've uncovered a whole new thing in my what was going to be reminding myself that sometimes the things I want are not things I need and I can take a back seat to them and hold out. Like, really, on the smallest scale, I'm a serial shopper. I I retail therapy. I buy things to make myself feel better. It's so I know how bad it is and I've gotten better. But like, I have reached a point now where sometimes I go like, I want this thing. But do I need this thing? Can I hold out to something I know I want that's going to come along? And I'm going to be like, darn, I wish I had the money for that. So like, <laughs> it's a very long stretch to get to from like sacrificing family to save other family to mm, I won't buy this plushie because I'd rather buy that transformer that comes out in a month. True story. I want the whole set. I have three of them. I need the three. I want the whole set. All the Dinobots. They're so cute. Anyways, that's my, my self-reflection and call to action. What do you have this week? I think I'm feeling most called to realize that confrontation isn't always like a bad thing or like a terrible thing or, or even unproductive. And maybe sometimes confrontation can lead to like a deeper understanding of one another, kind of like for Dean and Cass. Um, and also I think that sometimes like saying hard things like, kindly or neutrally because we don't want to be cruel either right if we think back to a couple episodes ago like i think that's really important also to be able to confront on your terms yeah i mean i feel like this is kind of like a perfect balance as you said it's the being honest and confronting someone honestly but not with an intent to hurt or like being rash you're doing it to grow You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigoroux, and myself, Drew Shulman. 
Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira L. and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Daniela for their message. You can find the links to all of our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com, and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on, our wayward friends. Who's the titular virgin? Like, I'm curious to know. I know we've had, like, theories that Cass isn't a virgin or has lost his virginity, potentially, to Dean. But, like... Are we going to find out that there's a angel virginity thing that we need to... I don't know. Is there something there? Because there's just no way that this ends well. <laughs> like, what are you going to say? Basically, <laughs> Do you really gonna... like sausage? <laughs> like... No one gets sausage today. That's the rule. No one gets sausage for this one. What about um, pepperoni? Is that allowed? 